If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel 16. And uh, this isn't a slide yet, Vince, so hang on one second. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to the house of Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Father, I pray that you would help me to gather my thoughts, help me to hear from heaven and share a word from your heart that will encourage the discouraged. In fact, before I even start to preach, can you just raise your hand if you've been battling discouragement of late, the, the things didn't turn out maybe the way that you intended them to or expected them to, and you've been really waging a war against discouragement. Would you put your hand in the air so I know who I'm praying for? Father, I do pray that this word will be full of life, will be filled with the anointing of the Spirit. There's nothing this man has to say that can set free, but Christ in me, Christ in our midst right now, set you free and shake off all discouragement. In Jesus' name, may this word bring life that more abundantly may leave today filled with hope and a desire for an awesome future that God has in line for you, the expected end for his will in your life in the land of the living. Amen. Amen. Well, this, uh, this really began to stir. I don't always tell the backstory behind a message, but this one I think will minister to you because we've walked through some things together in the last few months. But as you know, last, uh, last November, we had this head of school who he was sent by God. There's no question. The man was anointed. He was a sweetheart of a man, way overqualified for the position and just alive in Christ. He was a minister. He'd been a missionary in India. He just really had everything that we'd longed for for many years at the school. And it had that sense of, wow, we, we got our man. God has enthroned somebody in a leadership position now that will bring the school into all of what God's intention was for it. So I was the chair of the board, I still am, and, and got to minister to him each week. We met, we became friends, poured into his life and encouraged him at his memorial service his mentor shared with me that this had been the best experience he'd ever had in his life as an administrator in his school. Just felt supported, felt encouraged, found fellowship in Christ. And most importantly, as he described it, he said, I found a house of prayer. I found a place where Jesus was really at the, the helm of the ship and where there was a board and leaders that acknowledged that Jesus is the only one that can make things happen. And everything just seemed to be going beautifully. Praise God, it's testimony time. Kingdom is now here. And then he got COVID in November and he died just a little, a few days before Christmas. And how devastating doesn't even begin to describe it. I thank all of you who prayed for me and for the school and for others. And then a week after we had his memorial service, Pastor James came to let me know that while I thought it was going to be years down the road that he'd be going on to seminary, he said, actually, it's going to be a few months. So it was like a one-two punch and then Merry Christmas, you know, it's like, like that kind of a week. And I had this week and I don't get in this place often. My favorite Christmas movie by a million and a half miles. I mean, besides Elf, my favorite Christmas movie above and beyond all else is It's a Wonderful Life. And I watch it just about every year, whether my family's interested or not. I'll stay up till 1 a.m. to watch that on Christmas night or some day or two before Christmas. And I watched it. I got to this moment, you know, it's when, when uh, George Bailey is left holding the bank, you know, and, he, and, and his brother gets to go off and get married and everybody else is going, living their dream and there's George Bailey just kind of faithfully doing what he has to do because nobody else can do it. And I had this moment where I, for the first time in my life, connected with George Bailey. 
it's, oh my goodness, I feel like, I feel like that right now. I feel like every, yeah, everything around me that I've been excited about, it just kind of fell to pieces around the floor. So I had a pity party, and I was the guest of honor. And I didn't invite anybody into my pity party either, but it was a real down week. It just happened that uh, as we were reading, we were reading the scriptures together, and my girls really wanted to read through David's life story. So we started in 1 Samuel and began to read through, and just around that time, somewhere during that week or two, we got to this chapter, and these words just collapsed on me like a ton of bricks. How long will you grieve over Saul? Fill your horn with oil and go. And it was, it was a word that I believe is in due season for many of us. It's something that the Lord wants for his body right now. There have been so many ways that we could say we're grieving over something that just didn't go the way that we wanted it to go. That might be the best description of 2020 that there is. That was not how we expected that year to go. You remember all the prophecy that went out and all the, the things and people were saying about 2020, the year of vision, the year of clarity and all of that. And it just like God to go and mess around with that and say, man, you can't see anything. Nobody knows what's gonna happen next. Between the pandemic and then the election and all the other things like that, it was a time where anything that could possibly be shaken was shaken, wasn't it? And for many of us, we're still in that place. For many of us, we're still holding on to things that we're, we're saying, boy, the, the, the thing about grief is it's something that you didn't want to lose or you wouldn't be grieving it. So, so we're looking, we're holding on, and I found myself holding on and wishing that that thing didn't happen. The power of grief is to heal the heart, but the power of staying in grief is that you stay stuck wherever that event happened. How many of you know it's not life's events that determine what we become and who we are? It's how we respond to life's events that determine how we become and who we become down the road. It's how we handle when disaster strikes, how we handle when the unexpected comes to pass. And this was a moment for Samuel the prophet. Now, he's a, he's a prophet who, uh, I mean, as far as speaking the word of the Lord went, he never missed it. The word says about Samuel, not a word of his ever fell to the ground. That means if Samuel said, thus says the Lord, the Lord said it, and the Lord was going to do it. And the Lord spoke to Samuel after the people came demanding a king. The people, uh, Samuel was a prophet. It was the days of the judges. You've read the book of Judges. God just raised up prophets and heroes, really, to lead his people. Why? Because he wanted them to be self-governed. He would be their king, and the people would just learn how to worship him. Prophets would come to steer them back on track, not to rule over them, but to remind them, hey, there's a God in heaven. These idols are no good. This way that we're going right now, it's dangerous. We're getting off track. We want to stay underneath the umbrella of his blessing, and we don't want to invite all these foreign things into our land because to have King Jesus, of course they didn't know that name yet, but to have Jehovah as king, the Lord Yahweh as king, is life and that more abundantly. And so prophets came, and Samuel, chief of them all, Samuel was just an amazing prophet. From the days of his, he heard the voice of God about 12 years old, little boy in Eli, the high priest's tabernacle, and he heard God so clearly it sounded like a real human was speaking to him. He was that kind of a prophet, a seer is what they called them back then, somebody who could see what heaven was doing. It was like he lived in two realms. He had that great a prophetic gift. 
But the people, because Samuel's sons weren't walking in his ways, they came and said, give us a king like all the other nations have a king. And it grieved Samuel. And at first he felt this rejection come to him. He said, well, they're, they're rejecting me. I, I don't, you know, I didn't, I didn't say that God said they're gonna have a king and they're rejecting the word of the Lord. They're rejecting me. And God said to him, no, no, no. It's not you they're rejecting. They're rejecting having me as king over them. They'd rather have a human in the place of God than they would to have God and have direct accountability. And before we judge them, we're no different. We are no different. Every time we look to a human being as a substitute for what God can provide, we're just like the people who demanded a king in the days of Samuel. Every time we look to government, every time we look to somebody in a position of authority, every time we look to somebody to replace a direct relationship with Jesus, he and I are walking together through life. If this tragedy happens, it's nobody's fault. I'm gonna deal with it with my Father in heaven. If I make a mess of my life, I'm not gonna blame the man, I'm not gonna blame my parents, I'm not gonna blame my boss, I'm not gonna blame whoever. This is just me and the high king of heaven now, and we're gonna find a way that he's gonna make everything work together for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. That's always been God's intention. Did you know that? Did you know that God did not create us to need kings and governments? He just didn't. He did not create us to, why do we need kings and governments? Why do we need authority that, that has humans behind it? Because we need to be restrained in our sin because we don't want the world to go and be destroyed. The innocent get trampled under and so on. We, we need that only because we've rejected direct accountability to the God of heaven, direct relationship. Israel had done this once before, hadn't they? They were there at the base of Mount Sinai, and God said, gather all the people. I want to talk to them. They heard the thunder. They saw how mighty and majestic God was, and they, they said, whoever wants to talk to God, step forward, and they all stepped up, and Moses was the only one left. They said, Moses, you go talk to God, and whatever God says to do, we'll do it. But we, we are terrified of this God, and we want nothing to do with him. And here was Israel making that same mistake all over again. So God spoke to Samuel. Samuel told the people, look, God says he'll give you a king, but here's what he's going to be like. He's going to treat you all like slaves. He's going to take your women. They're going to cook for him. He's going to take your fields. He's going to take your horses. He's going to take all the best and brightest to be servants in his palace. And, and now you're going to serve and you're going to know what it's like to have a man as a king instead of having God for a king. So reluctantly, Samuel said, okay, God, who is it? Who is it going to be? He filled his horn with oil. The horn of oil was the tool used by God through prophets to anoint kings, to anoint priests. That's always where it's used. And, and when they anointed, you know, we, we use anointing oil. Sometimes when we pray for the sick, we anoint people in ministry, and we'll use real oil. But we just do like a little dab on the thumb, you know, and maybe make a cross on the forehead or something like that. And that's how we use anointing oil in our day, because we like our clothes, I guess, or something like that. But in that day, they took a ram's horn, and I mean like a big ram's horn, filled it up with anointing oil. And if you've ever smelled oil that's been fragranced with incense, frankincense and myrrh and all kinds of, and gold and all kinds of things you put in it boy you just a little dab and you it fills the room can you imagine a full horn of oil well there's uh there's Saul son of Kish minding his own business one day trying to find his dad's lost donkeys and some old man prophet comes up to him and says has not the Lord selected you to be king over his people now I'm gonna tell you that Saul had none of that in his mind 
He didn't want to be king. The people demanded a king. It just happened to be that Saul was handsome. And this is where we get the phrase, he is head and shoulders above the rest. He literally was head and shoulders taller than anybody else around him. Kind of like watching Roger and Lynn in action. It's, you know, where you're around Roger, he's head and shoulders above, and he's strikingly handsome too, right, Lynn? Yes, he is. And, and that's what Saul was like. He had all the external look. He was a mighty, valiant warrior. He was everything that you would think if you would draw a picture of a king physically and in terms of character, by, by that I mean courageous, valiant. He was it. But we find him on the day of his coronation. He'd already been anointed by Samuel, smelled like a king because the horn of oil had been poured out on him. The day of his coronation, they, they chose lots. And it was, I think, maybe God's way of just saying, I want to show you that Samuel got the right guy. So they drew lots, fell to the house of Kish, and then it said, and it's Saul. Saul, come on to the front. And it was just crickets chirping. Everybody said, where is he? Where, where's Saul? And someone said, he's hiding right here. Some little kid, I think, in the back of the crowd. He's hiding in the bags. On the day of his coronation, Saul was hiding in the baggage. I think there was something in him. You know, we, we think of Saul... You know how we make caricatures out of people in the scriptures? We, we do that with Saul. He's the evil king who chased David with a spear. And, and that's all that we know Saul to be. But in this stage of Saul's life, he was a humble, good man. His weaknesses got exposed once authority was laid on him. Did you know that? That our weaknesses are better exposed when we're given authority than they are when we're running for our lives and being persecuted. But that's another message for another day. Maybe next week. They didn't come out till later. At this point, he was humble enough to know, who am I to lead God's people? I don't feel like a king. I certainly would never choose this for myself. I think Saul is the most tragic figure in the whole of Scripture. He didn't fight to be king like most people who become king do. He wasn't shoving his way to the front saying, I'll be king, I'm head and shoulders taller, and I'm handsome too. He didn't, none of that. He's hiding in the bags until they force him to be king. And all the people said, oh yeah, that's what we're talking about. Now that's a king that we can get behind. He comes, he starts to serve as king, he wins some battles. You know, Saul was the first king of Israel up until now. Twelve scattered, divided tribes all over the land. Sometimes they'd work together for a common enemy, but never did you see 12 come, in, 12 come together. And actually, it's, it's an amazing thing, and I do believe there's something in it, which I won't go into, but there were actually 13 tribes because Levi's never counted on one list, and um, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons, are counted. So actually 13 named tribes of Israel. Levi just had no portion in the land. That's why your Bible map doesn't look. You don't find Levi on your Bible map. A little Bible background for you. 13 of them, it was an absolute miracle that they would all come together because they'd had conflict among each other. They had blood conflict where like wars and battles between them the betrayals and rape and all kinds of crazy stuff went on. It was actually, it took quite a leader to pull those 13 tribes all together as one. And Saul did it. God anointed him to do it. He became the first king of Israel, made them into a kingdom for the first time in their entire existence. That was no small feat. Went around, won some battles, pushed back the enemies of Israel, had victories on every front. Then came a couple of tragic days and you know the stories, the the first time he, he, he didn't wait for Saul to make a sacrifice and he lost the kingdom on that day. 
because he, he, or he didn't wait for Samuel, rather, for the sacrifice. God said, uh, he rebuked him publicly for it, and he failed in that. Instead of waiting on the Lord, he trusted in his own strength. Then maybe months or years down the road came the time he was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites. Samuel came and said, why do I still hear the bleeding of sheep? To obey is better than sacrifice, to, to hearken better than the fat of rams. And, and he said, God's taken the kingdom from you. That's it. The Lord is done with you. The Lord has rejected you as king because you think that you're going to be king and you're not going to do what the king of kings is telling you is right for the people. And you imagine now, put yourself in Samuel's shoes for a minute because I think to really understand the word of the Lord to Samuel, we've got to enter into his grief. Samuel had just spent the last several years of his life teaching a man who didn't want to be king how to be a king. It says that when, when the whole thing was happening and it was gathering Israel, they wrote a book about the ways of royalty. That's, by the way, the Wednesday night Bible study. That was the inspiration behind that title, The Supernatural Ways of Royalty by Chris Fallotin. We're doing that Wednesday nights. Not too late to come and join uh, this week. But he, the, how do you act as a king? What do we do? They knew in the law of Moses one day they would have a king because there were laws about kings, but they didn't know what it was like to have a king. They just knew, hey, the, the enemies, whenever they come, they have a king out in front and all the people rally around that king. We need somebody like that because we go into battle and it's like Reuben wants to do this and Gad wants to do that and, and Levi's always running and burning incense and he's never up on the front lines. We need a king to rally us together against our enemies and, and they, that's what they wanted. And so Samuel had just invested years of his life into something he didn't want to do in the first place. He told the people, this is not going to end well. And it didn't end well. And it just, if, if you've ever been tempted to do the, I told you so, that was Samuel in this hour. And he did. One time he did. He said, oh, I told you it ended just like this. You know, the, we Jews have invented the master of the art of the guilt trip. And, I told you. He's just like I promised and it all fell to bits. And this is a nation that Samuel loved. This is a nation Samuel has sacrificed for. He has been the point person to lead the people of Israel toward God all of his life. And now he invested himself. He said, okay, I'm all in. If God's in this, then I'm all in in this. And I will train this man on how to be a king. I will pour my life into him. I will teach the people the ways of royalty. And we will be a nation, a kingdom in the earth. And then only to find that in, with one fell swoop, God said, that's it. It's it's done. It's done. Everything that this man had poured himself into for the last several years just completely crumbled right before his eyes. Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever invested your life, let's say, into a relationship? Maybe into a business venture? Maybe into some great cause that you sacrificed for, that you paid a price for. I don't mean like you signed the petition level. I mean like you sacrificed financially, you sacrificed hours of your time, you poured your heart into it. You didn't just do it. Your heart was in this thing. You know you don't grieve things that you don't love, right? There's no such thing as grief. If you don't care about something, you don't grieve its loss. But when you've vested life and time and love into something and all of a sudden it gets taken away, well, now you're in the place of grief. And that was Samuel. That was Samuel. It says in the scripture, it says, Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. So great was his grief, 
He never even went to check in on him. Now, Saul at this point, by the way, is still gonna be king for at least 30 years, maybe longer. We don't know exactly what year of his reign all these events transpired, but he's got another three decades on the throne with this severed tie with God and a severed tie with the prophet. And Samuel was so grieved about it that he didn't even go to see him. For Samuel grieved over Saul and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So we have two different words here. Two different responses, same tragedy, same loss. You know, God was all in on on Saul. God poured out his anointing on Saul. God said, I'm gonna give you every opportunity. God even said when he took the kingdom from him, he said, if you just would have obeyed me, you could have had a throne that lasted forever. I would have had your kids on this throne and your children's children on this throne. You could have had the dreams that I had for you the plans and the hope that I had for you in the future, they were amazing. And you, I gave you every opportunity to be a king of kings, somebody that would raise up kings in your future and look at what you did. God is the original experiencer of grief. Did you know that? I mean, if you ever wanna know what it feels like to be God, lose something that you've invested your heart into. I mean, right from the beginning, from the third chapter of the book, Here's God, he just created the heavens and the earth, everything so thoughtfully. Let me give you things to inspire you about beauty. Let me put you in awe as you look at the night sky, as you look at the mountains, as you behold all the things that I've made for you. When you look at the animals, some of them are gonna make you laugh, some of them are gonna make you go, wow, that is majestic. And, And all of this I made just for you. And I can put you in this garden of paradise where you can be naked and unashamed and there's every kind of good fruit that you want to eat. You'll never lack anything in this garden. There's just this one tree. It just, God, just stay away from that one tree and look at all the rest. And day one, like, uh, Adam and Eve are like, ooh, we got, yo, Adam, we got forbidden fruit. Because like, guys, don't, don't do it. And I said, no, no, no. Just, that's the only tree that matters right now. But what about all these other trees all around you? Imagine they're walking with God in the cool of the day and him lovingly saying, look at this tree right here. This fruit's just amazing. It'll change your life. It'll be the best thing you've ever had. (coughs) But there's that serpent pointing attention and there's Eve eyeing that fruit. And you know how that story went. God's the first one to experience grief, something he'd invested in that he lost. So is heaven's atmosphere like a funeral? Is the atmosphere of heaven, God is the one who can grieve more intensely than any of us will ever be able to experience. But is the atmosphere of heaven a place of sorrow or is it not that in his presence is fullness of joy? There's something about getting near to the Father, getting near to the atmosphere of the throne of heaven that even in the worst sorrowful moment when it feels like everything that we just put our heart into just fell to pieces all around us, somehow in the middle of that, there's still joy. So it says Samuel grieved over Saul, which is how we understand grief. That's when, you know that intense feeling. If you've ever, you know, been to the funeral of somebody that you love, there's an intense feeling of loss. (coughs) There's that intense, like a gap in your heart. Feels like your heart just got rent in two. That's grief. And grief is good. Grief is necessary when it's used correctly. Grief is a gift. In fact, good grief is a thing. It has to happen. But the Lord, can you go back one second? The Lord, it says, regretted that he had made Saul king. 
That word regret, it's not really a good English word for what's going on with that. The Lord regretted means the Lord comforted himself that he'd made Saul king over Israel. What do you want the most when you're grieving? You want somebody who really knows how to comfort, right? <coughs> not somebody who shares those catchphrases like it'll be all right and all that. I did a teaching at one point on how to walk with somebody who's grieving because those trite phrases like, oh, don't worry, everything happens for a reason or don't worry, it'll be okay. They really ring hollow on a grieving heart, don't they? In fact, they ring hollow enough that it makes you want to slap the person who's saying it even though you're a loving person, right? So we, we want to avoid all of those. But I mean comfort. But what we need when we're grieving aren't answers for our mind or, or even words sometimes. They, there's a phrase they call it companioning somebody in grief, which just means just be with them. You don't have to say anything. Just the fact that you're with them in it. And, and even better, if you can enter into their grief and weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, even better. And that's what Holy Spirit's like. Do you know when Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit to his disciples, do you remember the first thing he said about him? I'm gonna send you the comforter. I'm gonna send you the one who's gonna be with you in every life situation. And on that night for the disciples, they were about to see everything they just sacrificed for the last three and a half years. Left their fishing boats and their businesses, left their parents, left their families and followed this itinerant Messiah around the country, lost everything that they once had, happily sacrificing for being a disciple of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But now they were about to experience a moment of grief like they'd never experienced before. Because you talk about putting all of your hope, all, they had all their eggs in the basket of, this is Jesus, he's Messiah, <coughs> and we're gonna rule and reign with him. And they were just about to experience the most horrific day of their lives, watching him be scourged and then crucified. And he said, but I'm giving you something that you don't even understand you need yet, and that's the Holy Spirit. He's the comforter. His presence with you is gonna fill the gap. Every hole in your heart that's about to come because it's gonna get ripped in two, the comforter is gonna be there to fill it. <laughs> that's what this phrase means. The Lord comforted himself that he'd made Saul king over Israel. The Lord grieved too. The Lord loves his people. The Lord doesn't want to see his people go astray. He doesn't enjoy seeing his people um, listless and leaderless. God loves when his people are well cared for. That's why he's the good shepherd. But in heaven's atmosphere, they, he doesn't stay stuck in that place of grieving where it's all right, that's it, I'm done. Isn't that the feeling of grief? If we stay too long in the place of grief, <clears throat> there can come a feeling of the heart that, okay, I'm done. I will, we make covenants. These are the kind of promises that are good to break. We make promises to ourselves: I will never trust again. I will never love again. I will never trust a man again. I will never love a woman again. I will never step out and start something again. I will never lead again because look at what they did to me. Many, many a broken pastor has said those words to me. I, I will never, and then fill in the blank. Those are all the things we stay. When we stay in the place of grief, but heaven's atmosphere is an atmosphere of comfort. And God, although he experiences grief, he experiences the comfort of his own presence. That presence and that atmosphere that God has in and of himself is our portion. So grief is good and necessary when something we love is lost. You must grieve 
It's a big mistake if you ever lose something or somebody that you love. It's a big mistake. And the words spill out of our mouths sometimes. Well, I've got to be strong for everybody right now. And look, there is a sense of responsibility sometimes. Back in the fall when when Todd went into the hospital, when James um, made his announcement to me, there was a deep sense of grief for both of those losses. But there was also a sense of, yeah, but you can't go hide under a blanket in your house, Blair. You have a school and you have a church. And those are responsibilities from the Lord. There is a sense, you're, you're a parent. You, how many of you know, you can't just stay under the covers. You got kids who are waiting f- to be fed and lives that you're still responsible for. You're, you own a business, you can't just bury yourself under a blanket of grief because you have employees dependent on you and customers who are depending on you. There's, there are responsibilities, in that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I mean that sense of grief where your thoughts constantly return back to the moment of pain without receiving any comfort from the Lord. We were not made to live in the valley of sorrows. That's not our dwelling place. It's a big mistake to build a house in the valley of sorrows. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Not coincidentally, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, what? They comfort me. But I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going to build a house here. I will not allow this to remain my dwelling place. Surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the house of the Lord, there is grief. God grieves. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. There is, uh, there is grief in heaven, but it's, the sorrows may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There is weeping indoors you 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 know we pour out our weeping before the lord but those that go out those that sow in tears shall what you're going to reap in joy so we sow those tears we sow that grief into the fertile soil of god's plan and his destiny for our lives and he brings back something absolutely incredible and the the thing that we risk if we get stuck in that place of grief if our thoughts constantly return to the thing that's lost without asking God and opening ourselves up and saying, okay, God, I need you right now. You know, sometimes grieving means letting God know how you're feeling about it. There are plenty of Psalms. I love David's Psalms, like reading his journal. <coughs> that man knew how to pour his heart out to the Lord and knew how to tell God off too. <coughs> the amazing thing is, after he poured out his heart to the Lord, he ends up in worship at the end of it. That's grieving God's way. I'm going to grieve. I'm going to pour out my heart about this thing that I loved and lost. But in the end of it, I'm also going to open my heart to your comfort. If we build our house in the valley of sorrows and say, I'm going to live in this place. I'm not taking another step. What we've done is we reject the Lord's comfort. And the tragedy of that is not just that we live in the valley of sorrows now for an extended season, but we miss out on the next kingdom assignment God has for us. Because how many of you have a call of God on your lives? Uh, You better raise your hand or I'm going to go back and preach a different message. How many of you are the called according to Christ Jesus? All right, you're called. Everyone is called to ministry. Some are called to church ministry, but everyone is called to ministry. And you have a kingdom assignment for your life. And it's going to change from season to season. There's going to be a time for this one, and there's going to be a time God's going to move it on. And that's why the Lord had to come to Samuel, who was stuck in that place, apparently. His horn was still empty. Why? Because he'd poured it out on Saul. 
He'd done his assignment. He did a great job. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. I don't know if Samuel experienced the same kind of woulda, coulda, shouldas that we all do, but I would propose like any other man alive, he did. That he's looking, where did I go wrong? How did that end that way? Did I miss a chapter in the book on the ways of royalty? How could I have failed to impart to Saul what it means to hear the voice of God? I'm a prophet for goodness sake. I couldn't teach him how to obey the Lord and how to follow the Lord's voice and all of what he did and all of these things. How many of you know that we are so good at taking someone else's failure on ourselves? somebody especially that we've invested time and life into and we take that failure and we it's like we're responsible for a whole world you know what it is right (coughs) it's just another form of pride as if if i would just do a better job the whole world would be right (laughs) the messiah would have to say well excuse me i'll i'll get out of your way then there's only one messiah the enemy is really good at pointing the all the arrows back toward us when something that we've poured our life into and invested into falls apart and we blame ourselves. And I want to just say, shame off of you in Jesus' name. Blame off of you in Jesus' name. If you hear nothing else today, if you have been pouring your life into something and you've just been faithful to what the Lord told you to do, as Samuel was when he anointed Saul king, if you've poured out and done the best you can to just follow the Father into it and pour your life into something, then I want to encourage you today, don't you hear that voice of shame for a moment longer, hear the voice of well done, good and faithful servant. The Lord came to Saul and he said, how long will you grieve? over Saul. Grieving time's done, Saul. There's a David on a hillside waiting for you right now. And you're the only one that has the horn of oil to anoint him king. I've given you authority and you alone authority to anoint the next king of Israel. If you don't go, David is going to be up there watching these bleeding sheep for the rest of his life. Bleating, not bleeding. Bleating. He's being faithful in his father's house, but I have something else for him because he's been faithful in his father's house. Now he's going to be faithful in his father in heaven's house. He's going to be the king of Israel. He's a man after my own heart, but you have a horn and it's empty right now because you're still grieving over things gone by. I am sovereign. I am the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, and I'm the sovereign Lord of Israel, Samuel, and I'm moved on. (laughs) Heaven has moved on from that thing that you're still grieving over right now. It's time for you to fill your horn with oil and move on into the next thing. I'm I'm speaking to some of us. The Lord spoke to me, and I'm speaking it to you right now. It's time to move on because there is a kingdom assignment waiting for you that's embodied in some people. Maybe it's embodied in a business. Maybe it's embodied in a relationship. Maybe it's embodied in some old friends who are just waiting for you to speak the word of the Lord to them and open it up to them. Fill your horn with oil and go, the Lord says. It's not time to, to stay trapped. It's not time to remain in that place. Have you ever seen how oil gets manufactured? This really struck me as I was meditating on this um, passage that in that day, you know, today if you need olive oil, you just go up to Wise Market or, you know, where they sell olive oil. and It's like shelves and shelves of it. There was no corner grocery store uh, down backyard of Samuel's place. Prophets, priests, everybody made their own oil. And they made it through a process that we still use today. Do you know how you get oil? Olive oil, that is. 
It's inside the olive, but there's only one way to get it out, and it hasn't changed in thousands of years of human history. It's an olive press. Where's that picture of the press? There it is. It's made in a press. The only way to get the oil out of the olive is to take the fruit of the last season and crush it. There's some of us, I believe, that are stuck in a place right now grieving over things gone by and so grieved over it, so fixated on what went wrong that we're missing out on the tremendous amount of fruit that came from that season. That there were olives, as it were. There were things that were good and right. There were kingdom purposes, kingdom things busting out of our lives. And what the Lord is saying right now is we're feeling that pressure that press of failure, the press of, or what we view as failure, that the Lord is pressing something out of us. The only way to get anointing oil for the next assignment is to allow the press to have its work. Have you ever avoided the press? Have you ever avoided those moments in your life, I have, when it feels like God right now is just squeezing so tight I feel like I can't breathe. I feel like there's nothing right now. When I look around me in the natural, it just, I don't see anything good happening right now. There's a press happening right now because the purpose of the olive isn't to decorate an, an olive tree. The purpose of the olive is to eat it or to get oil from it. For our purposes, it's to get anointing oil. It's not cheap. It comes from seasons of faithfulness when we continue to persevere through drought, through famine, through all kinds of things. We persevere in being faithful to what God said to do last. You ever walk through those seasons where it's like, man, I'd like God to tell me something new right now because I've been at this a long time. <clears throat> I feel like I need a change right now. And the Lord said, just continue to be faithful. Just keep pressing on into your call. Keep being faithful with what you're doing right now. And what he's doing is he's pressing those olives out of our lives and he's giving us an anointing for what's next. Because without the anointing, without some kind of power from heaven, without being endued with power from on high, there really is nothing eternal that we're going to be able to accomplish. There's no good that we're going to be able to do unless the Lord can draw from the inside of us something that he's been working on. So there's a grieving that happens when tragedy comes from the outside. There's another kind of grieving that can happen when things fall apart and we begin to blame ourselves. Whatever the source of grief might be for your life today, I urge you today, let the Lord press out of you and fill your horn with oil. You've paid a price. You've done well. You've been faithful with what the Lord put in front of you. Don't take someone else's failure or just the plain old tragedies of life. Sometimes failure comes because of choices folks make. Sometimes failure comes just because things happen. Nobody saw COVID coming, but it destroyed a whole lot of lives and livelihoods. We didn't see that coming, but now it's time to say, okay, I'm gonna take the, I'm gonna take the press. I'm gonna let that press have its work. I'm gonna fill my horn with oil and pick my head up. We were, as we were praying before service today, there were um, a couple of testimonies that came out. Heather had a great testimony about somebody that, that's in need of ministry right now, which by the way, um, here's a little commercial in the middle of it. I think I could pause to do this. Size 8 to 10, boys' clothes. Size 8 to 10, boys' clothes. If any of you has any handy, Heather could use them to minister to somebody that's in need right now. So remember that, bookmark it, see Heather at the end of service. There are needs all around us. There are people that we could walk right on by and I just felt compelled to pray in the middle of that. Lord, help us not to treat the world around us like scenery, the, the, but that make us tune in to what the Father's doing right now. Make us see what the need is going on all around us. And then as I was 
praying that and sharing. I saw this picture of, you know, when you, if you walk with your head down, why are you downcast on my soul? We walk with our head down, we can't even see what's going on around us. And I'm going to walk right by somebody who right now is in desperate need of the horn of oil that I carry because of the anointing in me. But I was so down about whatever tragedy, just whatever thing I'm grieving over. I'm stuck in that valley of sorrows and I can't even see that around me I have this horn full of oil that someone's in desperate need of. And yeah, it was a price I paid out of my life. You, you know, we make the anointing oil. There's a sense, I know in the New Testament, there's a sense of the oil gets poured out on us. And yes, God pours out his spirit on us. Somebody, a, a prophet friend of mine, so wisely said once, salvation's free. Everything after that's going to cost you. That yeah, Jesus paid a price. He said it's finished. But if we want to grow and mature and have a greater gift and a greater ministry to go and bless the world around us, it's going to cost us. Sometimes it's going to cost us things that we love. Sometimes it's going to cost us the, the, the being willing to say, well, I am perplexed, but not in despair. I don't know why that thing fell apart. I'm perplexed about it, but I'm not going to be in despair, which means I'm stopping right here and I'm not taking another step forward until God explains this thing to me. We're not going to stay in that place. We're going to say, I've got a horn full of oil. God's going to take even what the enemy intended for evil. He's going to turn it for good. God's going to make all things work together. Even that failure. I've spent 10, 20, 30 years pouring my life into it just to see it burn to the ground. What was that for? I don't know. But I know I got, I got some olives right now. And with the press that I'm in right now, God's going to make some new oil for a new assignment. Could I pray for us? And I want to, can you just stand on your feet? And I, I really feel, um, I really feel to just spend a few minutes praying for those that this word, like you, this is where you're at right now. You're saying, yeah, man, I, I have, there have been some things that fell apart in my life, some things got destroyed, but I'm eager for the new assignment, eager for the new thing that's in front of me right now. Would you please come down to the front if that's you? You're saying, I know I need my horn filled with oil right now, and I know that God has things in front of me to do, and I don't want to miss out on it by being stuck with the things that fell apart, things that did not turn out. If you've been in a valley of sorrows, today is your, your moment that the Lord just breaks through and says, you've sowed in tears, now I want you to reap in joy. I want you to reap in that joy of harvest. I want you to reap in the joy of a new kingdom purpose. Maybe you've been faithful in a ministry, been faithful to be, you're doing something of ministry, something that has a kingdom purpose to it, and you've been pouring yourself out into it over and over again. Days have turned into weeks and months and then years and even decades, and you've been pouring yourself out into that, and you're, see, you're here saying today, I want to take all of the, the, the blood, sweat, and tears from that last season, put it in a press right now, and I want to come from this place with new oil for a new assignment. <clears throat> Praise you, Jesus. Melanie, would you just um, minister to the Lord on the keys and just worship over everyone? If you're not down in the front, <clears throat> if you're one of the uh, fathers and mothers group, would you please come and join me down here in the front? Let's just begin to pray. The rest, uh, if you're here today, the rest of you, would you just pray? Because there was David waiting for Samuel to, to obey the word of the Lord and say, I'll fill my horn with oil and I'm ready to go out again. And if it weren't for David's response, who knows? Who knows what David's life would have been from that moment. Let's just minister to the Lord. 
And let's pray for all of these who have come down in the front. If you're receiving prayer, face the front. If you come, if you come to pray for those, then stand in front of them so we know who we're praying for. We're going to continue to pray for people up in the front, but you're welcome to go on and get on with your day with the Lord. God bless you as you go about. Go out with joy. Be led forth in peace. May every mountain and hill set before you break forth into singing before you. And even the trees of the field give you a standing ovation as you go out from this place. In Jesus' name.